Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. My wife and I, 13 years ago, we, um, we brought home two young children from Guatemala. And for 13 years, it's been really amazing. And then last year, there was this little thing called Charlottesville. And um, as we watched some of that and tried to unpack some of that with our children, one evening, my son, he started crying. And he's like, are they going to take us home? Are they going to get take us out of here? Am I safe? Is this going to happen here? And it was the sort of the first time that... My wife and I really began experiencing sort of some of the things of me growing up, just sort of racism, um, but also now I was seeing this sort of fear beginning to build up where he began to understand sort of who he was and, and what was happening in the culture around him. So it was, it was pretty scary. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, who is off this week, although we will hear from him briefly later in the show, inviting you to another great opportunity of staying curious, thinking well, and advancing good. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Last weekend was Martin Luther King weekend, and coming up in February is African American History Month. Both call us, especially as people of the majority culture, to think outside our traditional frameworks and cultural upbringing. Outside the box, as it were. That's what this week's show is all about. Last year at the annual Q Conference, Gabe and the team challenged the attendees to think outside of what they're used to, even comfortable with. Gabe got help from Christian hip-hop artist, writer, and thinker Show Baraka. Show helped bring in guests who help us think about cultural issues from viewpoints we may not have heard before, but are worth considering. For example, how do we tackle the issue of affordable housing? Not just here, but worldwide. Show talked with Brent Hagler. He's the CEO of the nonprofit New City Charity about what their organization has been working on to solve the problem. Let's listen in. You're doing some wonderful things. Please tell us about the need for basic shelter around the world and some of the work that you actually do. Yeah, well, some unfortunate news is there's about a billion people in the world that don't have safe shelter. And so what New Story does is we build homes and we design communities of homes, like 100 to 200 to 300 home communities uh, throughout the developing world. And then we bring on other partners to join that community for components like a school or clean water, um, or a church, uh, other programs on top of what we call a community platform. So that's our model, but we've quickly realized that with an issue this big, about a billion people that don't have shelter, we've got to take new big swings to try to innovate and in how we can reach them, right? And we believe that comes through R&D and technology. And so for us, that happened with uh, 3D home printing. How did you come up with the concept of printing homes? Like, where did this start? 
Yeah, I think the core reason of why we invested into this as a nonprofit is it goes back to um, the size of the issue and really understanding that if you're trying to make a dent in a, something that big, not just news story, but the whole sector, steady and linear and conventional methods just really is not going to get us there. Right. And so it was out of necessity of like, all right, we've got to create a new way to do this. And we have to do that through what we believe um, is by taking risks and with R&D and innovation. And so then it turns out that the places that we work, uh, we, and, the, and our use case is that the families we give homes to or are part of our program uh, are small homes, very simple homes. So it's like a perfect use case to try first in the developing world. Um, and then we got really excited about this idea of bringing this technology to the families that need it most first, right? Instead of them getting it decades later. Right, like we see other technologies getting their way later, we got really excited about that opportunity to bring it to them first. Um, we then well, we teamed up with uh, our robotic construction uh, partner, a group called Icon, that I got connected with uh, through Praxis, a course that I've gone through. And uh, this was an idea 10 months ago. Um, people thought we were crazy. I'm sure people in the audience still think that. Uh, but we literally went from idea of there was no manual of how to make a 3D home printer. We had to make it. And then we just uh, printed the first permanent home in history. And so that's step one. And, uh, you know, we had like to say that it's crazy until it's not. It's kind of our, our saying there. Yeah. So what was the next step in this innovation? Where do you go from here? Yeah. So and the main benefits of why I think a nonprofit would get into innovation is, um, I'll just use it for New Story as an example, is cutting, significantly cutting costs. So right now, the traditional style homes we build are about $7,000 per home. This would bring it down to $4,000 and then $3,500, right? Crazy difference. Um, speed, right now, traditional style is about 15 days. This would bring it down to 12 to 24 hours. Right, and that's that's exponential type difference, and then also the strength and the quality. So because the 3D home printer, um, it has a lot of design freedom. We can have different templates and customizations. So for example, if there's a handicapped mother, she could have a more customized home for herself through the technology. And then just like one real life example of the cost is. Uh, last year in Latin America, um, their government spent about $6.3 billion on social housing for the poor, right? So just imagine if, if we could cut that cost down for how much a home per unit is, the result is literally millions of lives that are changed. And that's what gets us so excited about, about innovation and why we're doing it. Um, so the next steps, there's three parts. Uh, the first part is we've got to do a little bit more product development on the printer that you all saw in the machine. That was version one. Um, and the next step is uh, printing a community of homes, 100 homes actually, in El Salvador. Um, we're set to start on that before the end of this year and hope to finish that at the beginning of 2019. And the third step is what we're most excited about and I think is it's kind of the big idea here. And it's that once we prove this, we don't want to keep it for new story. Our whole goal is to democratize this to other organizations, to other nonprofits, and to other governments. Um, that's the big idea of really where we want to get to is, is sharing this and not saying, oh, we have this, so it's going to make our own budget better year over year. The whole goal is to democratize it and to share it with the rest of the sector, which is what I'm really passionate about.
Excellent. So you, <clears throat> absolutely. Brilliant. You're definitely passionate about innovation and inspiring other nonprofits to take risk, right? Yeah. Why is this important for some of the individuals even here who are leading nonprofits? Why is it important to take risk and why is it uh, important to be innovative in your thinking? Yeah. I mean, I, I get like innovation can be a, uh, you know, kind of like a sexy word and all of that. But the reason I care about it and reason why our team cares about it is because it can change more lives exponentially faster and better if you do it right. And and people in this room, whether it's through your ministries or nonprofits that you're working with, we're trying to tackle some of the biggest challenges in the world, right? And so if we continue to do um, conventional, you know, uh, incremental linear improvements year over year, yes, it's good because it does impact people's lives. I'm, I, I love that. But it's really not going to get at the larger issues, right? And so that's why we, we fundamentally believe that uh, breakthrough innovations can do that. Um, just imagine if Tesla or SpaceX spent a whole year on how could we innovate food for the poor, right? How could we innovate shelter for the poor? Just imagine the breakthroughs that, that could literally happen, right? But and I love those companies, but they're not working on that. So who's going to do it? You know, and that and that's what we get really passionate about, and that's why I think um, you know this room and our sector has a chance to try to create more breakthroughs because it's going to result in impacting more people. But I think the thing that uh, holds us up is that it's risky, right? And, there, and, and I don't think this sector has uh, enough appetite for risk. And, and that's the thing that I think we have to get over is um, being able to have, whether it's donors or your board, give, uh, you know, be able to say, like, we're going to have a line item in our budget for calculated risk-taking, right, or for R&D. And, and if that could happen, and then I think organizations could take more risk, prove those innovations, and then the big idea is that we share that with the rest of the sector. So how can, they, how can the leaders in this room stay connected to what you're doing and to New Story? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely follow along with the 3D home printing journey. Um, we're doing some a little bit of funding as well there. Uh, the, the, the thing I'd be most excited about would be uh, for people that wanted to, to sign up, um, be able to use potentially this machine in the future, um, and then other innovations that New Story is creating. So we're creating other things with the whole, whole, whole idea that um, we're creating a platform that other nonprofits can use, I mean, other governments can use. Um, so, yeah, that would be the way to do it. Excellent. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my favorite millennial, Brent Hagler. <laughs>
But we want that to change. We believe sitting around the table is one of the best ways we can open ourselves up, become vulnerable, but welcome others into conversation that maybe they wouldn't normally have. And we know in our culture today, it's hard to have some of these conversations that can feel tense and difficult or that challenge us to think about some new ways of how we're living our life. And so the way we're going to do this is we're, we're calling it Q Dinners. Now, Gabe, Q first did these Q Dinners back in November, shortly after the midterm elections. And we want to encourage you to do this again the week of February 18th. So, Gabe, explain how this works. We want you to pick one night that works for you. Invite a few friends over. These could be friends from work and colleagues. It could be those who don't share your faith. It can be people that are part of your family or maybe your church community. And invite them in. We're saying six or more people. We think that would create a great evening. And to help you as a host lead the discussion in your home, we'll provide you with a discussion guide plus a video of a Q Talk that you and your guests can watch together to set up the conversation. The topic of the Q Dinners this time around deals with implicit bias that we may have that separate us from each other. The Q Talk is from this past year's Q Conference featuring David Bailey of the organization called Arabon. Now, God has made the church a reconciling community. That's what he created the church to be. But why is it that the church is better known as a segregated community than a reconciling community? It is our reconciliation for one another that gives credibility to the reconciliation between God and humanity through Jesus Christ. And there aren't a lot of people in this room that would disagree with that statement. But again, we're no more as a segregated community than a reconciling community. Now, maybe this seems like too weighty a topic to deal with. But Gabe, if there's going to be healing in our nation and the world around this issue of racial harmony, as you've said many times, it's up to us. The only way we start to see this power of we move forward is that we really take responsibility ourselves and decide we're going to be part of that solution. And so will you do that right now? Will you write down QDinners.com so you can check that? And, and when you go there, you can RSVP. Let us know that you're participating. We're going to provide you with some free guides. We've even got a chef that's prepared a couple different menus of ideas that are simple to prepare so that you can not be intimidated by the food that you gather. And if you need to just pick up food from a local eatery or restaurant, do that as well. The idea is that we come together, that we spend a couple hours in some real conversation. And I think if you do that, I think you'll find that you've done something countercultural, that you've created space for something that really conflicts with how a lot of the world operates. And, and you'll be doing something that's really a gift, a gift of hospitality, a gift of kindness, a gift of love, but also a gift of thinking well together as we try to do good together. Again, to learn more about hosting a Q Dinner the week of February 18th, visit QDinners.com. This is Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Again, Gabe off this week. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio, who works with Q Ideas to make these shows possible. As we heard in the first half of the show, thinking outside our usual framework can be helpful in creating solutions to issues like the housing needs. But what about issues of racial and ethnic tension? This past weekend, a video on Twitter showed what seemed to be an altercation between some young white students and some Native Americans. The short video caused quite a firestorm in the media, but then more extended videos of the event showed a more complex situation than initially reported, causing some to rethink their initial response. But let's back up from there. Why do some people react to situations in ways different from the majority culture? 
Is there something we in the majority culture are missing? Again, Shel Baraka helped us listen to a different perspective. In this talk, Shel talked with Jose Reyes. Reyes's parents came from Puerto Rico, and he himself is the adoptive parent of children from Central America. Now here, he offers a perspective about much of the recent racial tension in our country that you likely haven't heard. But let's again listen in to a different perspective. a lot of work in Atlanta with MetaLeap as a designer, um, but we're not here to talk about your design. We're here to talk about <laughs> you as an individual and as a citizen, but oftentimes feeling like your story and your narrative is not heard nor expressed. What is it like being a Latino American in 2018? <laughs> uh, that's a big question to answer. Um, first, I am the son of Jose Germán uh, Reyes Sanchez and of Carmen Dolores Reyes Feliciano, both born in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And um, what it means to be a Latino here in the United States is challenging. It's, mm -hmm. it's perplexing, it's disorienting in 2018. Um, my parents, uh, they were born in 1934 and 1944 in Puerto Rico in two small towns, um, both um, sort of very humble upbringing. And they came here to the United States when my dad was in the military. And um, and they wanted a different life for us. They wanted a, they wanted us to be acclimated, yeah. and they afforded us um, some privilege. And they wanted a, li a different life than what they saw. And so um, and they gave that to us. And in that involved um, language. And they decided al along with so many other people of that generation to say, Hey, um, we want our kids to do great here, so we're not going to teach them our language. Mm. Um, and it only comes much later when you realize, and they've even apologized for that, saying, "Oh man, I wish, I wish we hadn't done that." And um, and I love them for that. Yeah. Um, so what it means to be a Latino here in the United States is, is disorientating in 2018, yeah. given sort of the political climate and just kind of what's going on everywhere. Considering that in the last decade, uh, last two decades, uh, Latino Americans have accounted for a large growth within this country. And representation is huge, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like Latino Americans are represented well in this country? And if not, <laughs> how are we feeling, I guess? Mm -hmm. um, I think that, it, again, the, the challenge is simply how do we, how do we um, sort of invite all of our, um, our brothers and sisters into conversations? Um, how and where are we giving access to our brothers and sisters? And um, I think if you look at in sort of the different channels, things like um, culture making and film, you can look at film and mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Luis Fonsi and um, Despacito, you know, that was a huge song last year. And, um, you know, they won really big, big in the Grammys, but in terms of the, um, I mean, in the Latin Grammys, but in the Grammy Awards, you know, they were sort of left out of that. And I think in film and things like that, that Latinos are still sort of, um, underserved. Yeah. So you, you talk about feeling like you're American, but also feeling like a foreigner, mm -hmm. right? I, explain that to us, and also like, how do you make that spiritual connection as well? Hmm. Um, so we talk a lot about um, the idea of being a third culture kid. For me, I came to understand probably about 15 years ago, mm -hmm. and basically, third culture is simply um, your parents 
place of origin, where they came from, Puerto Rico, and then they came to the United States, and then there's this new culture, sort of American culture, and then I'm being raised in that, and that's the third culture, is the assimilation of those two cultures. And so you end up with kind of not quite sure where to go, and you sort of feel like a chameleon in many ways. You know, who am I? Um, where is home for me? Yeah. Um, what is identity? Uh, what does it mean to be known? Yeah. And it's very disorienting. Yeah. Um, and it's just disorienting, especially being a light-skinned Hispanic. Yeah. And so you have kind of what's kind of a little bit like a caste system wow. um, within the culture. And even, you know, because of my parents um, choosing not to teach me um, Spanish, um, there's a lot of shame yeah. that exists around that, um, not just for me, but for so many people that I know. Yeah. Um, and it's difficult. So you're, you're Puerto Rican, and mm -hmm. you were telling me that your son made a statement about when, you, when when he hears people speak poorly about Mexicans, he feels like they're talking about me as well. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, like sure, it has sure. to be very painful. Like, <laughs> uh, it is. So my uh, my wife and I, 13 years ago, we um, we brought home two young children from Guatemala, and. Um, and for 13 years, it's been really amazing. And then last year, there was this little thing called Charlottesville. And um, as we watched some of that and tried to unpack some of that with our children, um, one evening, my son, who's just, he's amazing, and he's always asking a million questions. And so um, he just said, he started crying, and he's like, are they going to take us home? Are they going to get take us out of here? Am I safe? Is this going to happen here? And it was the sort of the first time that my wife and I really began experiencing sort of some of the things of me growing up, just sort of racism. Um, but also now I was seeing this sort of fear beginning to build up where he began to understand sort of who he was and, and what was happening in the culture around him. So it was, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Do you, it's got to be exhausting. Do you ever feel... Like, how do you feel with your identity and a lot of the political discourse that's happening? Consistently, people from Latin country or Latin America, uh, or Latino Americans, better yet, mm -hmm. and countries like Puerto Rico, their identity is consistently tied to immigration and mm -hmm. and politics. Like, how does that make you feel? Like, how do how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, in lieu of uh, Hurricane Maria yeah. from last year and sort of how that devastated the island of Puerto Rico. Um, I mean, it, you can you feel very left out, um, and in some ways, that's that's connected me more to this island that I'm from. Um, and being island-born, there are things that you you recall and you remember just from trips and visiting. And um, uh, again, you feel alone and alienated. And yeah. it's um, I was talking to some friends of mine, and I've just been thinking a lot about the story of Moses. And, you know, Moses was um, adopted into Pharaoh's court, and he was in a place of privilege and position. And he ended up overseeing, you know, slaves and the, the, um, the Hebrews and the Jews. And so he, I don't know if he ever learned the language, I don't know if he ever learned Hebrew, but um, he was in a place of real privilege, and then he came into close contact with his identity. And then he was really unsure of what it meant to lead these people yeah. and would they accept him would they acknowledge him and um, in many ways um, you know you end up feeling a little bit like an alien um, even though there's conversations around it but it's not positive yeah. you know the word immigrant is not a positive word 
Um, and it's usually connected with so many other things that just kind of have baggage and there's just sort of negative connotation around yeah. that. So as a third culture individual, do you, you obviously have to operate and maneuver within a lot of different spaces. So mm -hmm. majority white spaces, maybe multicultural spaces, mm -hmm. but you usually don't feel at home in any of those spaces. No. <laughs> Where do you fit? Do, do, <laughs> When do you have time to be yourself or do you ever feel like you can be yourself? That's a really great question. Um, I feel myself when I'm outside of a Puerto Rican food truck and there's salsa going on and everyone's dancing <laughs> and we're eating like uh, Spanish food and yeah. platanos and acapurria and yeah. stuff like that and you're, you're just like, I'm home. Yeah. And there have been these like instances in my life where I'm here in the States and I love being here, we love traveling. And it's the weirdest thing where, because I grew up in Tampa, um, uh, in very much like a home that was like, the Puerto Rican flag was like flying over it, mm -hmm. you know. And, um, but whenever I, I, I've left that, that life of growing up between 10 and, and actually zero to 18 and then going into this sort of general culture, um, whenever I'm traveling, and I he even if I hear people speaking Spanish, it's like this thing that happens. You just, it's like that scene in Ratatouille where he eats the Ratatouille and immediately he goes back and he's like, I'm home. It's like that. But I'm really sad. Yeah. Um, mm. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Jose Reyes. Thank you, brother. Thank you. That was Show Baraka talking with Jose Reyes about his challenges being a third culture American. This is Q Ideas, and as you listen today, did what either Brent Hagler earlier in the show or Jose Reyes say help you examine your personal beliefs and assumptions? You may not have changed them, but did you at least come to an understanding of a differing perspective better? Were you able to understand why some people can look at the same situation but respond entirely differently? That's the point of Q Ideas, both as a show and as an organization, to help you stay curious, giving you the opportunity to listen to thoughtful talks and conversations, to think well, and from there, to advance good. We talked earlier in the show, too, about the upcoming Q Dinners, and you can find out more about how to host a Q Dinner at QDinners.com. And remember, too, Q 2019 in Nashville, April 24th through the 26th, the annual conference where you can join others, not only in hearing great, thought-provoking talks, but also curated events and conversations with others interested in advancing good. More information at QIdeas.org. Just click on 2019. We just added to the speakers list there. That's Q Ideas for this week. I'm Paul Perot for Gabe Lines. Have a great week and hope you join us again next time. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. 
To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.